Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. On today's episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined by Thomas Dudley. Thomas is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Certified EO, standing for Certified Employee Owned. They've had some fantastic success with businesses in the United States promoting and marketing the fact that they're employee owned. Thomas, firstly, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So you've started this fantastic movement promoting employee ownership and you've had some really good success stories already. Tell me a bit about your background though. How did you end up here? Yeah, sure, that's great. Um, So I originally got interested in employee owned business when I was working on a PhD in organizational behavior at Stanford Business School. I had kind of heard a little bit about employee-owned companies before then. Uh, It's been going on in the U.S. There have been employee-owned businesses in many forms for for about 40 years, Um, I guess, well, all the way back to 1974, so almost almost 45 years now. Um, So it's a community that's been around for a while, but I learned about it kind of through an academic route, Um, was studying organizational behavior, got very interested in this model, uh, very there's tons of interesting research that people have done on, on employee-owned companies showing that they perform better, they obviously build wealth for people um, in a very broad-based way, also good for local communities and have some, some nice properties that maybe help make economies more stable in, in recessions. So there was all this interesting research on them um, that I first learned about really from the academic side doing, doing that sort of PhD style research um, Craig, which I know you've, you've been kind of, uh, going down that road a bit yourself. Um, and so I just got really interested in, and kind of more and more was pulling on the string of, of employee owned business and, and learning about these great companies. But in my daily experience, um, noticed that it was just really hard to find employee owned companies. If you say, want to go to the supermarket and buy their products or, or support them with your business. So felt like a mismatch. And, and that was kind of the led me to ask some questions related to research findings that that ultimately led me to start certified employee owned with a, with a good friend of mine. Yeah, fantastic. So obviously research based, but now very practical application. Why is this important for mid-market businesses? Why are they thinking about employee owned? Why is this becoming such an interesting topic? Yeah, that's great. So there are a few different reasons um, that, a, that a mid-market business might be, get interested in employee ownership. A lot of them have to do with secession, the typical path in the U.S. that an employee-owned business takes. Um, some people, some companies start from day one employee-owned, but most are, are closely held businesses. And then for a variety of reasons, the founder or the founders decide that becoming employee-owned is the right fit for them. Could be early on because the company's mission-driven. It could be that the founder or founders don't have a, a natural successor, like maybe their children aren't interested in taking over the business. Some people, it's more about helping reward the people who have helped them be so successful rather than selling to private equity or strategic. Um, So a variety of different businesses, but what's really nice about the employee ownership side is not only is it great for people, great for the local community, but it also 
gives the, the founder a lot of control in terms of timing. Um, it helps people step out of the business. You don't have to go 100% all at once. You can do 30, 40, 50%, kind of stage it over time. Um, a lot of different reasons that people are drawn to this. Yeah, so it's interesting just to think about. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about the employee ownership landscape in, in the United States. It's a bit different. It's not as popular here. Um, so tell us, it's been around for a number of years. It's becoming more and more popular and more widely used, particularly you just mentioned succession in private business. Tell us a bit about generally the the scape, the landscape there for employee-owned business. There are a few different vehicles. Uh, by far the most popular is called an employee stock ownership plan, which I mentioned 1974 was um, put into or created, I guess, a law passed then. Um, part of our retirement security, like our approach to retirement. Um, this is definitely the most popular vehicle. There are probably about 6,700 total ESOPs. But if you're thinking about companies where a substantial portion of the business is owned by the ESOP, it's more like 5,000 to 6,000, somewhere in there. Um, it's a great vehicle for anyone with at least, say, like 40 people, 30 to 40 people, all the way up to the largest a high percentage ESOP would be uh, a grocery chain with about 180,000 employees. So works at a huge range of businesses. You've got worker cooperatives as well. Those tend to be smaller, although there is a worker cooperative in the U.S. with up to about 2,200 people. You've also got some people doing a trust-based model. Um, you've got some people doing it through like really just kind of creating their own approach uh, C through C-Corps, LLCs. Um, and then you've also got a few people doing it more through like employee stock purchase plans, options, other sort of other vehicles. But there's a few dozen of those, I think. So um, big range of big range of, of vehicles. It, it's primarily or if you think about in terms of the number of people involved at companies that are, are really employee owned, uh, I think ESOPs yeah. would be the, the vast majority. Yeah, OK. And in terms of the structures that are used you mentioned the ESOP as being probably the predominant one tell us a little bit about how that actually works so in terms of the structure itself it's a trust um, and I should say I don't actually set these up so I, I just want to sure, no, that. but uh, uh, yeah I'm not a lawyer but the uh, the structure itself is a trust and there's a trustee who kind of manages it employees are every employee of the company automatically becomes a participant if they work a thousand hours in a year, essentially. Um, so it takes about a year, maybe a little less, a little more, just depending on, on um, when the plan actually has its kind of its, its start date and everything. Um, but roughly about a year to participate, you need to work at least half time, a thousand hours in a year. Every year, the company either, um, the, the company might have a loan that it used to buy the business that, that is associated with the trust. So the company either pays off the loan or, or contributes some money. That money is distributed to all the participants based on a, a formula, often um, weighted by income with, with a cap. So there's kind of this, this very broad-based nature. Access is open to everyone. There's a, a, a limit on concentration with the income cap. As far as how it works from the founder's perspective, there's a few different ways to finance it, but often the, the um, transaction is leveraged. So the trust is created. The trust borrows money from a bank, kind of with the backing of the company. The money is given to the founder in exchange for the shares. The shares are held by the ESOP. And then as the loan is paid 
back over time, those shares are released to the employees who are the participants. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like there's a few different structures, but that's the fairly most common um, that's being used. From a founder's point of view, from an original owner's point of view, why would they choose to go down the road of an employee share plan versus any of the other exit options that might be available? Yeah, as I mentioned, a few a few different things involved here. Some people, it's a values-based approach. You feel like having most or all of your employees have an ownership stake is the right thing to do. Um, other people see it as kind of like the trade-off you make when you take investment. Typically, when you take investment, you give up some portion of your business. But the idea is that by getting that money, you, you grow the pie. So your slice is a little bit smaller, but you grow the pie. In the same way, giving your employees a stake in the business and giving them an ownership stake can lead to them becoming more engaged. It can help them generate ideas that help make the company more successful. They just care more about the business, so they act in a different way. Even things like turnovers lower. And so by doing that, you can actually even just very tactically kind of increase your own, the, the value of your share of the business by giving up a little bit to employees and engaging them. Um, that doesn't happen necessarily just from giving them shares. There's also a lot of education there. Um, and then as far as just selling a substantial portion or, or maybe the whole business to the employees, a lot of that is about, is it right? Like, do you want to sell to, what are your other options? Do you want to sell to private equity? Do you want to sell to a strategic buyer? What do those sorts of, um, of buyers typically do to the company? And is that what you want to happen to your business and your legacy? Sometimes the ESOP is flat out the highest bidder for some companies, especially in, in industries that aren't uh, like craft beer was really hot here a few years ago. Um, people like AB and Bev were buying companies for, for really high multiples. Um, so that <laughs> wouldn't necessarily be the highest bid there, but in, in other industries that aren't as hot, Sometimes the ESOP might be the, the, the highest bid. Um, sometimes it's kind of, it's roughly even and, and some other considerations become a factor. We even have a member actually, Lighthouse Foods, based out of um, Sandpoint, Idaho, which is a relatively small town, I think about 20,000 20, people, something like that. And Lighthouse is the largest employer in this town. And so wow. family, family owned business um, started by, I think it was the second or third generation that did the ESOP. But they all grew up in Sandpoint, you know, very, very strongly connected to the local community. And if Lighthouse had sold to maybe a, a competitor, it seems very unlikely they would have kept the corporate office. Who knows if they even would have kept the factory, maybe the factory, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, so it would have mm -hmm. been very bad for this town I and mean, it would have devastated the economy. Right. And so I think a big part of that transaction was the family's connection to the community as well. So sometimes other concerns like that, are, are in place in terms of the, the employership transition. Yeah, you mentioned then uh, education. I'm assuming you mean education of the employees around what it means to become an employee owner. How does that normally work? What do they focus on there? Correct, yeah. Um, when you do one of these transactions, when you help people become owners, I don't know how it works for y'all, but for us, it's not the standard model of business, right? You've got publicly yeah. owned companies owned by absentee investors. You've got closely held businesses owned by one or, or a few people pretty involved in the business. So people's conception of what it means to be a business owner is pretty much a sole uh, founder, CEO. They mix up what it means to, to be an owner and what it means to run and, and really have that day-to-day decision-making like being the, the executive. And so 
one of two things happens. If you tell people they're an owner now, they either don't believe you and don't, don't buy in at all, or they go in the other direction and think, okay, now I can set my own hours. I don't have a boss. We're going to vote to fire people. Obviously, neither yeah. of them are the case, right? Uh, yeah. On the one hand, if you give them an ownership stake, it can be a substantial financial opportunity. We have members who have people on the front lines of factories or stocking shelves of grocery stores with six, maybe even once in a while, a seven-figure account balance. Now, you build that up over years and years and years. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes 20, mm -hmm. 25, 30 years. It takes the company being successful. Um, that's kind of the magic of the, the compounding and the long-term growth. And so that is not at all an intuitive thing for people. They don't understand what it means to be an owner, but one owner of many. And so there's a lot of education that needs to take place. For some folks, it's it's helping them see the light. For other folks, it's reining in some of those misconceptions. Um, it's an ongoing process. It does not happen. The education understanding does not come after a month. It's something that people who do it well, they're getting this in front of people once a month, but they're taking their time. That first year, maybe you're focused on the basics. The next year, maybe you're focused on a specific value contributing ideas or helping people see how they can impact the share price, improve the value of the business. Another year, it might be focused on long-term wealth building. Many times, employee-owned companies will link this with uh, kind of like an open book management system or some sort of financial literacy education to help people just have the tools to get involved and, and improve things as well. Um, so it's definitely an ongoing, an ongoing process, but the rewards can be pretty big. Um, we've seen academic studies here looking at employee-owned companies over time, finding two, three percentage point increases in growth, um, finding them to be more profitable, more resilient in downturns. So it can do all sorts of great things for the company. Yeah, certainly. Uh, certainly the experience here, the academic research here is also very positive. Hmm. I'm interested to find out more about the certification program, starting with really why. What, what are you trying to achieve with this certification program, um, Certified EO? Yeah, so if we kind of go back to, to being in graduate school and, and learning about all these great findings and, and just seeing this as a way to transform business in a way that will benefit everyone and, frankly, could make, make the economy more productive while we're doing it, just seemed like a natural like, why, why isn't this everywhere? Why haven't we heard more about this? And so I got really interested in that question, which is more of a practical question. It's not a very academic question. And so one thought was, hey, maybe people don't really like this. Maybe it's an idea that makes sense to me, but maybe it's not something that actually resonates with other people. And so being a, a, a grad student and, and in an academic program, I was like, well, what have people done on this? And so I looked and I the most recent thing I found was from like 1972 or something like that. So no one had asked, even asked that question for 30 or 40 years. So I started thinking, okay, I'll just like run my own survey. So I used Google consumer surveys to run a nationally representative survey. Basically just wanted to find out if people were interested in buying employment products or working at employment companies. So asked a series of questions of, you know, 1500, 2000 people, something like that said, Hey, you're thinking about buying a product. You see this mark on, on, the box, how does that affect how likely you are to buy it? We had, my uh, my friend and I had kind of come up with this idea for the certification program. So as I was learning about these things, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, Kramer, who who we um, been friends for a long time. And we came up with this certification. Essentially the concept was, hey, fair trade, organic. We know about these things and we learned about them through through the companies involved and the people living those values. Why don't employee-owned companies do that? 
and just make themselves more visible by creating a common brand. Um, but it kind of connects to this idea of like, well, the big assumption here is people actually want to buy these products and work at these companies. <clears throat> so I ran the survey and found really strong interest, found consumers more interested in buying employee-owned products than fair trade products, which is a really powerful brand in, in the US. Everyone kind of knows that. Um, people more interested in working at employee-owned companies than we have this, this brand, great place to work, which I don't know if y'all have, but more influential than that. So had found really strong interest against established brands. The key difference being obviously that no one had actually been building an employee-owned brand. So it must be something that that connects to the way people see this idea and it's something about the, the concept of being an employee-owned business. And so we thought that was really interesting, but of course, uh, building a network doesn't just happen. You actually have, you actually have to have to go out and, and get the companies together. Um, but once we kind of had some evidence for this key assumption, where we, we got some confidence in this idea, we started going to conferences. We realized that building that brand is going to take time. And, and this was back in 2016. So we're still at the very beginning of the brand building process. But um, we, we also, a big learning early on was that, hey, we need to offer something to companies now to solve the problem for them today so that they'll get on board with the network. And we had been doing all this work trying to understand how people think about First, are they interested in, say, working at employment companies? And then the next question is, well, why? What is it about being employee-owned that they think is attractive and interesting? And there's who, so we've done demographics. <clears throat> so we've basically gotten, gotten into learning of all these things about what people think about employment how to make this message resonate. And as we were talking to companies, we found a lot of people were having problems with that education. Tended to be doing, <clears throat> they tended to work with lawyers or accountants or, um, people to administer their plans and they were getting education through that. And it's just so complicated and complex. And so what we've been doing is as an immediate benefit for our members is helping them create that education in a very simple, straightforward way, building handouts on concepts like the basics of being an owner, how you can impact the share price, valuation, just rights and responsibilities, all sorts of different tools that help our companies educate their folks and, and navigate those challenges because um, they're all dealing with the same issues, right? And, and everyone's kind of solving it on their own or, or working mm. with technical providers. Um, so that was kind of the path. I mean, it's been a, obviously a little bit of a wandering path, but that's, I think, how starting any sort of uh, any program goes. Oh, absolutely. And I think the key thing there is you've used the academic research and the underlying understanding rather than assumption that consumers prefer to buy from employee-owned companies. And in fact, in some cases, they're happy to pay a premium to buy from an employee-owned company, but the companies are benefiting that because it's a, it's a completely different marketing angle. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot in the work that, that we're trying to do. I like the way you put it, it's bridging that gap between the academic side and the practical side. I mean, there's so many smart people doing so many great research projects and, and we've learned a lot of great things, but a big challenge is actually turning those things into action. So we really see ourselves straddling those 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 two areas. I um, mean, the point you made is is great, right? Like you run this survey, you can learn something about the world. You can learn that. So on the consumer side, for example, it seems like people are willing to pay a premium for employee-owned products because they see it connected to quality, um, but they also see it as benefiting the local community, right? They're they're at least over here, people are definitely willing to pay a product uh, a premium for products made in the US or that that directly help like the city that they live in, things like that. Um, and so, 
you can find on the academic side that, hey, that actually works for employee-owned business too. And you can see through the academic work that, hey, this is a real thing. It's not just, um, you know, looking in the grocery store and seeing fair trade coffee costs more and you have all these questions. And there's been all sorts of very rigorous research showing that that's, that's really just a premium people are willing to pay. Um, but then, of course, to actually translate it, you have to do all sorts of things that make it really easy for companies to leverage that. And so that's what we're looking to do. That's fantastic. Um, where do you see employee ownership going over the next five years? Where do you think this is going to end up? Well, our goal is to make it the, the, norm, the, the most common form of business in the U.S. Right now, about one to one and a half percent of the workforce works at an employee-owned company. So it's pretty small. Um, us, along with a few other, with many other groups in the in the community, have come together around this uh, 50 by 50 initiative. And the goal there is to make 50 million people in the U.S. employee owners by 2050. Right now, I think there's about one and a half to two and a half million, something like that. Um, we're still managing. a lot of work to do, mate. Yeah, we really do. Well, if you don't set ambitious goals, you're not gonna you're not gonna Absolutely. make change. Um, so on the one hand, it feels really ambitious, but on the other hand, when you think about some of the issues that are out there wealth inequality, um, the kind of the, the issues we have around production and, and supply chain, especially around COVID. I mean, there's just, you know, it, it feels like on the one hand, it's very ambitious, but on the other hand, it just doesn't feel like we can keep doing what we've been doing. And so we need new ideas. And, and frankly, I'm not really sure how many new ideas are actually out there. And what's amazing about employee ownership in the U.S. is that you you have a set of things that you can say about it to the right and to the left, and you can get everyone excited about it. And so there's a lot of potential there. Um, so I'm obviously very optimistic, but I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say biased, I'm a believer. I'm a true believer. So I've just seen all the wonderful things that, that can happen at the company level. I've seen the academic work. It just makes so much sense to me. Um, so over the next five years, I think there's still a lot of laying the groundwork um, for us as an organization specifically, we didn't officially launch till September 2017. So we're coming up on our, our third year in a, in, a, in a few months. We have 177 members today. We've got all combined, if you add everyone up, about 120,000 employee owners total. Huge distribution, though. We've got a company that is a 37,000 person retail um, convenience store, like gas station, convenience store, chain. Wow. We've got like a ten-person business, like a mortgage, a mortgage um, broker, essentially, a little more like they help people get home mortgages. We've got firms doing obviously consumer, and we've talked a bit about consumer, but surprisingly, eighty percent of our members are are B two B, manufacturing, engineering, construction, distribution, professional services, government contractors, all sorts of different folks. Obviously, the uh, price premium for coffee is not what gets them interested in this, right? It's, it's more the educational side um, and getting their folks engaged. And we talked about how, how that engagement works and, and these companies will be putting a few thousand dollars a year into their ESOP. So helping people understand the values is a huge deal. Um, a few percentage point increase in growth is just, it's enormous. So um, that's all to say, we feel very good about how we built the network growing from you know, just a few founding members all the way to 177 companies in a few years feels great. Um, but our goal over the next five years to, is to really reach that critical mass, continue growing the network, and ultimately leverage that reach that you get when you get a bunch of different businesses all in different states and different industries kind of using the same mark, using the same messaging, starting that drumbeat of employee ownership, um, really keep doing that. And I think the more we do that, we've already started to see 
business owners coming to us asking about how they can convert to employee owned because they see the value in this and <clears throat> and and see it as a as an opportunity for them. Fantastic. It's some pretty uh, some pretty serious work ahead of you, but I think it's very very worthwhile. Um, before we wrap up, one tip for business owners to be more successful. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, just that one tip. Well, honestly, and and I say this too as a as someone who's who's now three years into starting what's effectively a small business, um, is thinking about secession and just thinking about that because. It just seems like I'm 32 years old. I'm not thinking at all about what happens to certified EO after after I leave. I just, the thoughts cross my mind maybe once or twice. Um, But I've just seen on the other side of that, so many of the owners we work with or the companies we work with, it really comes faster than you think. Um, And having some some sort of plan in place, even if you're never actually going to, even if you don't think it's relevant and you have no plans to to retire, I guess you just never really know what life's going to throw at you. And so having that that plan in place, um, and then obviously we think that exploring employee ownership is one of those options is, is a huge deal because it's just so under the radar. It's not something people are thinking about, but, and I see this because we also do a little bit of work with business owners. You see people kind of get introduced and, they, and they, they chew on it for a little while, they play around with it, and it can just really make a lot of sense for people, um, especially owners who want to stay involved, but also want their people to be more engaged. So I guess that that's kind of just thinking about secession and and uh, something that's easy to ignore, but but will will happen to all of us eventually. So fantastic. I hope that's not too too uh, too dark. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's excellent. Tom, thanks for joining us, mate. That's been really interesting, and uh, we look forward to seeing how you go with your fifty by fifty goals. Yeah, we'll check in in a year or two. No problem. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Greg. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to SME Radio, proudly produced by EagleWave's small business podcasting platform. For more great episodes like this, go to smea.org.au. Remember, if you have a story to tell, we want to share it. Mm-hmm.